Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. Another rapper wants in on the WWE. New members are added to the Nightmare family, and we go through the state of general managers in pro wrestling today. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite podcast providers for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. Last night was Monday Night Raw and a pretty eventful one as well. But before we get into that, let's take a look at our breaking news. Bow Wow wants to become a WWE champion. I didn't think I'd be talking about Bow Wow on the return of the Daily DDT podcast, but here we are. In a string of tweets, Bow Wow stated he wants to fulfill his childhood dream and become a WWE superstar, mentioning teaming with Rey Mysterio and going after titles and such on Twitter. He also got into some Twitter beef with Retribution and, you know, who hasn't at this point? Retribution has been all over the Twitter game as of late. And having another rapper coming to the professional wrestling scene, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I know some people that definitely would, but it can go over two ways. It can go over like Snoop Dogg on AEW, trying to jump from the top rope and failing miserably. Or it can go like Bad Bunny, how it's going right now, putting over Damian Priest. And I think that's the most awesome thing you can do. Come in out of obscurity or out of outside the WWE, a professional wrestling bubble, and then you find yourself putting someone over that needs to get over, especially on their beginning run with Damian Priest on the main roster. Obviously, Bad Bunny doing great things. Snoop Dogg doing great things in his own right. Nothing against Snoop Dogg. Don't need him coming after me. But still, either way, there's a difference there. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers will get a WWE championship belt and a custom one at that. The WWE has posted on Twitter and even mentioned on this episode of Monday Night Raw that the Buccaneers will be getting a nice full belt. We even saw uh, one of the safeties for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Winfield, hold it up after the championship, uh, Super Bowl championship victory against the Kansas City Chiefs, and it was great to see. It has the Buccaneers panels on the side of the belt, much like how you would see McIntyre's belt, uh, side plates there uh, on the left and right of the WWE Championship. And you have to say, WWE, without a doubt, was rooting for the Buccaneers to win this Super Bowl. Just look at where WrestleMania was supposed to be last year, where it is this year, who was on the Buccaneers, Rob Gronkowski, former WWE superstar, and all the connections that align. I think the WWE were so, so happy when the Buccaneers won because now it puts them sort of on that same level. Oh, look at where the Super Bowl was held. Now look where we're holding WrestleMania. Same exact place. And from rumors being floated around, WrestleVotes on Twitter, definitely a good source if you need uh, any insider news within the WWE. WrestleVotes mentioned uh, a couple days ago, I believe, that they weren't thinking about doing cardboard cutouts at WrestleMania to fill seats. Now, after the Super Bowl, they are thinking about doing cardboard cutouts because the stadium, if anybody was watching the Super Bowl, looked packed. I know I was watching, and that stadium looked filled, even though there was only 25,000 people there. That's not full capacity. The cardboard cutouts made it look like what a Super Bowl should like look like a, a fully sold-out event. So definitely good news there, and going to be great to have fans back in wrestling events and arenas even from the independent circuits fans are needed in professional wrestling that is without a doubt new members are added to the nightmare family aaron solo and nick 
Komoroto, Nick Komoroto. Yes, I got that right on the second try. Solo is Bailey's fiance. If you didn't know, he did spend some time in the WWE a couple years back. You might remember him from the cruiserweight circuit or cruiserweight tournament a few years back. And now he's getting a type of push in AEW Dark, putting on some good matches. And Nick Komoroto also has some good showings on AEW Dark as well. You can catch those on Tuesday night on YouTube. And for both these guys, we'll have to see what this means coming from the Nightmare family. Obviously, it can't be a bad thing. You're getting that stamp of approval from Cody Rhodes. But either way, uh, it, it now puts a, a stamp on them or, or, or a direction at least on which the way they're going to be going. And hopefully that is going to be going up. Now we're going to get into our WWE Raw review of last night. And definitely an eventful one. Uh, a lot of big matches and a lot of big moments, but uh, sporadically and along with sporadically, I'm trying to find the best word here, uh, a little confusing in the beginning. And we're going to start off at the beginning. Shane McMahon comes out, yes, Shane McMahon, you heard that right, with a huge announcement uh, stating what the Elimination Chamber match is going to be. And that is going to be for the WWE Championship. And I have my notes here. It's going to be, obviously, Drew McIntyre. Randy Orton, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, The Miz, and Sheamus all going at it in the Elimination Chamber. Personally, in my opinion, I think this shouldn't have happened the way it did. It should have been a one-on-one Sheamus McIntyre. I think that sells tickets either way. Well, it's going to get pay-per-view buys either way. No one's going to be in the seats except the the Thunderdome people. It it, it gets buys either way because that's a long-running feud. Uh... Well, long it stands the test of time because they obviously they're building it as this friendship and lasting years and years and years, and for them now coming back together at this point, in a rivalry sense, to have them not have a one-on-one match irks me a little bit, but at the same time I understand the the want to have that elimination chamber match be for the WWE Championship as well. Now, if you are going to have that elimination chamber match, don't just throw the names at me. I rather see these fighting matches or these uh, win to get in matches just to build them up towards the towards the elimination chamber. Just have Hardy go in a match with somebody else, have him go over. He earns a spot in the elimination chamber. Same thing with Styles. Same thing with the Miz. Have these guys fight in some matches to get into the chamber. Don't just throw it at me right away. Obviously, it's nice to see Shane McMahon every once in a while. Some people argue against that as well, but I digress. New Day defeats Retribution. T-Bar and Slapjack were the members of Retribution uh, fighting in this match. But the story of this match isn't really the action in the ring itself. It was who was on commentary, and that was Mustafa Ali. And boy, it was his time to shine, wasn't it? People have been begging, absolutely begging for him to get on the microphone more often just because of the real anger and rage that you almost sense fuming out of him. And I almost thought he came out a little too strong at the beginning because he wasn't provoked, but that was kind of his character. No matter what, he's going to come at you pretty angry just because that's the way he feels in his gimmick that his he's not being treated fairly. I understand that. I think not every not the casual fan is going to understand that, but if you're listening to this podcast, I highly doubt you're a casual fan. So in my mind, I think Ali did a good job pandering to us. 
and pandering to the people that say, hey, WWE does have some problems, and Ali is a person trying to expose that from the inside, if you will. But definitely a good time for him to shine. I think he did a great job on the microphone. I'm not the one that gets to make those decisions, though, going forward. That's going to be WWE management letting him know, hey, how about you do that again? How about you do that next week? That, that was good. So hopefully we get to see more of him on the microphone and more of him in the ring as well because he is a great talent. After that, Ric Flair and Lacey Evans cut a nice promo, and we got finally a Ric Flair moment in the ring. A lot of people cringe when they see Ric Flair, especially now during a pandemic. He's a, I believe he's in his 70s or he's in his 80s at this point. And for him just to be continuing to be an uh, in-ring performer. Didn't he retire <laughs> at a couple of WrestleManias ago? <laughs> if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think we all remember that. We all see the clips everywhere. But hey, I, with Ric Flair, I'm glad he's working. I'm glad he's do, doing what he loves. But at the same time, I would like to see Ric Flair go home and relax. <laughs> How about that? Go home and relax. Uh, they did confirm kind of in this promo as well. Ric Flair is quoted saying this relationship is just casual, but there's sort of a wink and a nod there as well. So I guess they're trying to turn the narrative away from a, a, a sexual narrative between the older man, Ric Flair and Lacey Evans. And I think that's a good thing. I don't really want to see that on my TV either uh, between these two. But Charlotte Flair does walk out and you still see the pride in Ric Flair's eyes of his daughter and how well Charlotte has be- become such a great talent in the WWE. And you really can't look past Charlotte at all. At one point, I remember before uh, she was off TV for a while, she was on three shows a week. She was on Raw, NXT, and SmackDown. And uh, the-, the joke was, was the Omni Flair. She was always around. No matter what, you will always see her. And she did a great job carrying in the early part of the pandemic the WWE narratives and I still think she's better as a heel but running her as a face is definitely possible Charlotte Flair and Lacey Evans did have have a match after that promo and Charlotte Flair actually loses in this one but by disqualification she ends up pounding on Lacey Evans in the corner of the ring ref gets the count of five and Lacey Evans gets the the win and because of that win a match is now set for Elimination Chamber for Lacey Evans to take on Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship. I don't think the belt is being taken off Asuka anytime soon. It's not that I'm a fan of Asuka. As a, I'm, don't get me wrong. I love Asuka and everything she does. But there's no one besides Charlotte Flair on Raw that stands the test of Asuka in any way, shape, uh, or form of the word. Charlotte Flair is going to be the one to take the belt off of Asuka. It's just a matter of time. And uh, Asuka's had this belt for a pretty, pretty long time and hasn't done much with it. I remember at one point she was facing Mickey James. So <laughs> that, 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 that's what you have to take from that. Edge promo. Edge, uh, winner of the 2021 Royal Rumble. Great to see him back and great to see him uh, floating around from brand to brand. I just mentioned Charlotte Flair going from Raw, NXT, SmackDown. Edge did the same thing last week. Great to see him on all four. Every time I hear his theme song, I got to sing it. And I think that everybody in their head does as well. Good for Edge, though. And I love the camera angles from Edge He it, when he does his promos. In ring, he's always a camera that's very, very close to to him and while the cameraman's standing in the ring. And he's speaking almost directly to it, like he's speaking to us, the viewer. So Edge does a great job there connecting with the fans. And not only that, 
with Edge, we talk about how baby faces uh, don't really have a motive. They just they're just there to win championships. They're just there to be happy go lucky. Don't care about anything. No. Edge needs this. Edge needs to be the champion. He needs to see his story through. He's not just happy being the guy that's back and gone for 10 years just to be here. No, he needs to be in the picture. He needs to be where it matters. And I think that connects with anybody. Someone that's watching wrestling for the first time, someone that's watching wrestling uh, for 20 years. Edge is back, and I think a lot of people are happy that he's back. Him winning the Royal Rumble, I do. Th- at first, I was a little head scratched by that, but I, I understand the motive now. And Edge, in this promo segment, The Miz did come out and he did have interaction with Miz and Morrison. And Edge said it straight to his face You're just here playing the game. You're happy to be awesome. Edge doesn't want to be awesome. He already did that. Been there, done that. He wants to be everything more than that. He wants to be uh, a legend. He wants to be absolutely. Legendary. My question is, will, will we see Randy Orton edge at WrestleMania? Because they do need to put the belt on Orton if they're trying to get his number up for Cena later down the line. Damian Priest with Bad Bunny defeats Angel Garza with Miz and Morrison. Damian Priest, superstar. They have him build at 6'5", but he towers in the ring. I think it might be his lanky build. And not lanky in a bad sense. He'll kick your head off. His strikes were absolutely phenomenal in this match. And he's definitely ready for main roster talent. Uh, I, I He didn't spend much time in NXT from what I can remember compared to a lot of other guys that are in NXT at the moment. But he's definitely main roster ready. He has the look. He has the talent. He has the speed. He has the skill. And the only thing I will say is his microphone work. It might not be perfect as of yet but i don't think a lot of guys in the main roster are perfect either but he he's there he's there he and they wouldn't have called him up i don't think if he wasn't there yet and with bad bunny in the corner it almost legitimizes him just also having my notes here the simple note only one note for this match as well bad bunny is a legend comes out with pyro are you kidding me? With Pyro. <laughs> had me cracking up watching this match, just watching the entrances, because there's no reason why Bad Bunny should have Pyro, but he does, because he's Bad Bunny. It just makes sense. In, my, in, the, in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, he's a, he has to have Pyro. He, he's, they're bringing him in, and he's living the dream. Give him Pyro. But at the same time, it's like, does he really deserve the Pyro? <laughs> that made me laugh. And the Angel, Angel Garza, Miz and Morrison connection there is also pretty nice as well. After that match, Keith Lee defeats Riddle for uh, a, a shot pretty much. They had MVP on commentary with the United States Championship belt, pretty much signifying that whoever wins this match is going to get a United States Championship match against Bobby Lashley. A little odd how Bobby Lashley wasn't there in the beginning. And you take a look at t- these two guys, Keith Lee and Riddle. They had their call up. And yes, I'm happy with it. I'm glad they're in the main roster. I'm a little upset. Matt Riddle, which I consider his full name. They don't call him Matt Riddle anymore. They call him just Riddle. And uh, Keith Lee, they had to call him down to the Performance Center to work on whatever he needed to work on, whether it was in-ring skills. But I, I, don't, I didn't think, obviously, if you've been watching Keith Lee as long as I have, he, he's been phenomenal. A guy that's over 300 pounds moving like a, a 205 guy, that, that's really obviously amazing. Keith Lee picking up the victory here. 
And funny enough, you would think Keith Lee, he's the victor. He's going to get the title shot versus Bobby Lashley. Nope, it's going to be Keith Lee and Riddle and Lashley at the at the chamber. So this match almost meant nothing. But it was nice to see these two in the ring. They kept on saying it was the first time in the WWE these two matched up against each other one-on-one. I believe that's true. I did do some digging just in case, but they have gone against each other before the WWE and the independent scene multiple, multiple, multiple times one-on-one. That's almost been their, their, their narrative, their story. And for both of them to be in the WWE is a testament to how good they are. Lana... And Nia Jax in a tables match after the Keith, Keith Lee and Riddle, Riddle match. And <laughs> I laugh because I look back a couple months ago in December. And I think this could have been a pay-per-view match. And you might look at me like I'm crazy. Jaden, you're saying Lana deserves to be in a pay-per-view match? At the time, Lana was getting put through tables left and right. This is the, that would have been the perfect kickoff show match if you will, or would have been the perfect cool-down match before the big main event at TLC. That's how I see it. Because Lana got put through, what, nine tables in the span of ten weeks or something like that? You gotta be kidding me. So that feud was obviously long-running, enough for me to be put into a pay-per-view slot. And how the match ended up turning out with Lana picking up the victory by Nia Jax dropping a leg drop onto the apron, apron hurting her tailbone, being distracted enough by the pain for Lana to push Nia Jax through a leaning table. Phenomenal. That would have been a perfect pre-show match for me, for TLC. It, it just did just enough to fulfill my need of a tables match. You know what I'm saying? Especially a, a tables match with Lana in it. You don't expect to win, but she gets the dub. So good for her. Naomi was ringside with Lana, and obviously so was Shayna Baszler with Nia Jax, and they got into it after the Lana-Nia Jax tables match. Naomi and Shayna Baszler obviously had to have a match of their own. This one, a non-tables match, a singles match. And Naomi picks up the victory after rolling up Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler went outside of the ring to attack Lana. Nia Jax is already in the back getting checked on, and Naomi rolls up Shayna Baszler for the victory. This needs to go somewhere for me. Obviously, now you're putting together Naomi and Lana. You're trying to tell me that they're a legitimate team by obviously defeating Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. So the belts need to go somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And if they're going to go anywhere, I wish they were going to the Iconics because they have a soft spot in my heart. I think they were just so great on the microphone. And honestly phenomenal and ring as well not from a technical standpoint from a storytelling or a a, creative standpoint between those two obviously did a phenomenal job and the fact that they're not together anymore does irk me but the belts do need to move around uh the the tag team women's division hasn't been the same since the iconic split up since the riot squad just keeps on sticking in what i don't know how you could even call it a mid card or it's definitely it's the low card of the tag team women's division it's very confusing but it does need some work and i believe there's a couple articles coming out on daily ddt that you can check out of how some of our writers would fix that situation randy orton did have a match with drew mcintyre and i have in my notes here as well randy orton had to cut a promo earlier in the night 
talking about how he has a lot of loose ends or he has a lot of unfinished business. That was the word. He has a lot of unfinished business. And yeah, you do have a lot of unfinished business. You have a lot unfinished business with Edge. You have unfinished business with McIntyre and with The Fiend and that whole storyline with Alexa Bliss. Randy Orton was in every major storyline of 2020. He was also one of the main reasons why 2020 wrestling was what it was. You can take it in a good way or a bad way. But I think he was one of the reasons why WWE was, was he was the supporter. He was one of the cornerstones, if you will. And they needed him there. When Edge went down, he, st- he stepped up, went with Drew McIntyre with the, with the feud. When that was done, he found some work with The Fiend. And I think Randy Orton, no matter what, he was able to evolve and adapt. Same thing with McIntyre. He involved himself into not only the cornerstone, but the centerpiece of what 2020 wrestling was into Uncharted Waters. I think it's very fair to say that. And Drew McIntyre deserves a lot of credit. So these two have a match. Randy Orton picks up the DQ victory, not because he called for it, but because Sheamus coming out from ringside after interfering in the match earlier on just by coming out with his entrance music. He brogue kicks Randy Orton, thus giving Randy Orton the victory because McIntyre would then be disqualified. The show did end with McIntyre's music being played after McIntyre Claymore kicked Sheamus. Obviously, a lot to take in there uh, in that main event. Randy Orton does get the victory at the end of the day, but uh, McIntyre does stand tall. So it's all building up to Elimination Chamber once again. I think McIntyre definitely should should have a one-on-one match with Sheamus. I believe that should, should have. And funny enough, McIntyre and Sheamus said it on the show. It should have happened at Elimination Chamber. But you got to have a big title match for the Chamber, and I don't think that was going to come from SmackDown in the Universal Championship with Roman Reigns. He's too good to put in the Chamber like that. McIntyre's also great as well, but I think it's more fair. It's just tough. It's just tough because they're both on the right track and McIntyre has to get caught by that chamber right there. I think McIntyre does retain. It might fall on Orton's waist at the end of the night because they got to get him more title reigns because they're WWE and they're building up to something. At least I believe in the back. I hope in the back of my head. But I I feel like it should stay on McIntyre at the end of the night for the elimination chamber. Going into our final grade, I'm going to try not to write these down before I write my notes, the final grade for the episode of Monday Night Raw. So I'm just going to say what comes to mind. And I'm going to go with a C. I was thinking C minus trending that way, but I'm going to go with the C. So our first show at least stays in the middle. It can go up from here. It can go down from here. So I'm going to make it fair for myself as well. But I'm going to give it a C. And I think I'm confident with that. Yes, I'm very confident with that. Stay with us. Coming up next, we're going to talk about general managers in today's world of professional wrestling. And also a fun on this day featuring Goldberg and Lord Steven Regal. Stay with us right here on Daily DDT. On this day in pro wrestling on February 9th, 1998, during the episode of WCW Nitro, Goldberg defeated Lord Steven Regal. Um, With that headline, doesn't really give you much. But if you look a little bit deeper into it, 
This was Goldberg's big run in the late 90s. And William, now called William Regal, but then Lord Stephen Regal, was told by WCW officials that the bout was supposed to be a squash match. But Regal disputes this claim in his book and in an interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin in his podcast saying that he was told by officials to have a competitive match. And we all know William Regal, Lord Stephen Regal, can have a competitive match, a fantastic mat wrestler in his own right. But we're talking about Goldberg in his main run on WCW in the main big push that he had. I did go back and watch this match, and it was it was a rough watch. It was definitely a, a rough watch. Goldberg obviously trying to have a Goldberg-type match, a quick one, you know, four minutes, get out of there, spear, jack, jackknife, and call, call it a day. You know what I'm saying? Steven Regal didn't want any of that. He ended up having a pretty decent technical wrestling match, but because Goldberg isn't technically savvy, at least he wasn't at that time, it it didn't it clunk together. It was really bad. It was like you're trying to put a, a, a round peg into a square hole. Not what you want to see on any form of television. It was so bad, and the the detriment that came after that was Regal was released from WCW immediately following the match, which is tough to see, but Regal did have a great run in WWE and he's just still having that run today as the NXT general manager and that's where we're transitioning to general managers in today's world of professional wrestling and when you say general manager you think of a couple names you think of well obviously you think of Vince McMahon even though he wasn't general manager technically he was the owner but the idea was when I say general manager you're talking about that authoritative figure running the show Vince McMahon Back in the 90s, authoritative figure running the show. For me, my childhood, Teddy Long, go go one-on-one, face The Undertaker in the main event, or you go into an eight-man tag team match. That was my childhood with Teddy Long. And I, I do think general managers are played out to an extent. You're never going to reach the same heights that you reach with Vince McMahon if you're the WWE. And you're never going to reach the same heights that you reach an impact or TNA with Carter, if you will. So if you look at the landscape today, the WWE, um, for Raw and SmackDown, you have Adam Pierce and a new guest, Sonya Deville. Adam Pierce has obviously more recently found himself into deeper storylines, especially on SmackDown. We did see Adam Pierce open the show, introducing Shane McMahon to Monday Night Raw last night and I do appreciate what Adam Pierce does but I think it's coming becoming a little bit too much for me I'm seeing him a little bit too much on television and he's getting a little bit too involved into storylines I thought it was pretty good on Smackdown what he was doing uh, with Roman Reigns Roman Reigns couldn't put his hands on him unless he had a match with Adam Pierce and he finally was able to get that so at least it made somewhat sense for me but it does get a little haywire, haywire when you start putting uh, Paul Heyman into the mix. Sonya Deville, also new on the scene. Uh, I think that she can do great things as well from a more general manager role, but I want to see her in the ring. You know, I want to see her on the microphone doing what she does best. She grew up to be a professional wrestler, not a behind-the-scenes person or a person that's going to be off-camera the majority of the time. 
I want to see Sonya Deville in the ring. I want to see her on the microphone. She was a great heel, and I think she can continue to do that, but that might take some time, much like how they took Baron Corbin off for a little bit. They took Daniel Bryan when he was injured and not medically cleared, found his way back. We all know that story. And also with the WWE sticking with that, William Regal, the main reason why we're talking about this, he is, I think, the quintessential person that you're looking at right now as the best general manager. He's off TV enough where we don't see him that often, but he's always there in the background. He's always there working matches, always there uh, booking. Always, He's always in the back of our minds knowing that William Regal is going to put a match there for us. And I think the best moment to see that was in recent history with uh, the big War Games quote that he had with uh, the Pat McAfee crew and Undisputed Era. William Regal doing a great job on NXT UK. Looking at Impact, Scott DeMore. He usually has the headset on, so you sort of give the idea of backstage role. I get it. He's doing a good job as well. and But once again, he, for me, he comes on TV a little bit too often compared to how William Regal does it. AEW, completely opposite from what Adam Pierce would be or what Demore would, would be. Tony Khan, if you want... To, I have a question mark next to AEW and Tony Khan. If you want to say Tony Khan is the quote-unquote general manager, I would say yes. But at the same time, the, on, the only times you really ever see him on TV is huge moments. Huge moments is the only times you really see him on TV. We saw him on TV when Kenny Omega walked out with the belt to go over to Impact with Don Callis. And we also saw... Tony Khan come on TV in the passing of Brody Lee. Huge moments. So for him to be in that background role and not to be a Vince McMahon type obviously puts him away from the WWE idea of what a general manager is. He is more that behind-the-scenes type. Sort of like how Regal is. I think it's the perfect balance with Regal. You get sort of the best of both worlds. But I just wanted to talk about William Regal for a little bit. How about that? <laughs> A preview of Impact Wrestling tonight. Rich Swan and Tommy Dreamer signed the contract for No Surrender. Kara Hogan versus Nevea. ODB versus Kimberly. And the Good Brothers, always good to see them in action on Impact Wrestling, will take on Storm and Sabin. Definitely a good one to see for Impact Wrestling. But that's all for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite podcast providers. I'm Jaden Becker, and I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.